Well, welcome everyone and welcome to another week where we can come together, where we can connect with one another and let God's word impact our life. I'm glad to be with you today and I'm excited for what we're going to be sharing together over the next five weeks. We're beginning a brand new series of messages called Good Medicine. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm pumped about this series for a few reasons. For one thing, I had the series planned for this season as far back as last year. And the reason I tell you that is because I really believe that we make our plans, but God directs our steps. Obviously, none of us could have anticipated that the world would look like it does today when we were planning things out last year. But while I know this series is going to connect with you with what you're feeling and with what you're experiencing currently, I want to be really clear about something. Because in just the same way that I believe God guided the planning of the series, I believe that God is involved as we make our plans to re-enter into church life and what we used to think of as normal. Now, again, it's going to be some time before we gather as a church, and I'll have more information for you next week. And we'll communicate with you in advance before we re-enter into Sunday morning gatherings at our venues. But be encouraged that whatever the future looks like, as we make our plans, God is directing our steps. You know, another reason I'm excited about this series, though, is because I believe God is going to use it to be very formative and foundational in your life. You see, this series isn't just going to help you with where you're at right now. It's also going to help prepare you for the place God has called you to be. See, this series is going to make you a stronger believer. What you're going to learn is going to help you be more effective in your faith and more powerful for ministry. How can I say that? Well, because that's what medicine does. Medicine makes you better. Now, when I say the words good medicine, I want you to understand exactly what I'm talking about. Of course, when we think of medicine, we think of the practice or study to cure or alleviate or prevent prevent disease. And there's no question about it that God's word is definitely a remedy for our recovery. But the word medicine actually comes from a root word, meaning to take appropriate measures. And I like that idea of taking appropriate measures because I want you to understand that we don't read the Bible just for information. We read it for application. See, God's word is good medicine. It's not just health for your soul. It's help for your life. It's meant to be taken and utilized. It has real power and real potency to change what you're facing. And if we're going to understand this practically, then we need to define what it is exactly that we're talking about. Because the Bible is a big book. I mean, depending on the translation that you read, there's close to one million words contained in it. So it's one thing to say that you believe the Bible, but there's a lot of verses there. And in this series, I want to help you understand what it means when you say you believe the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to know what's contained within that. When you say you've given your life to Jesus, I want you to know what beliefs accompany that. I want to unpack for you what is really at the core of being a Christian. And to help us understand why this is important, I want us to begin by looking in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 2. Now, 
2 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to his protege in the faith. In fact, it's the last letter that Paul ever wrote because he was executed shortly after. And in this letter, Paul knows his time is drawing to a close, and he's writing to Timothy, who he's put in charge of the churches at Ephesus, to highlight the most important things for him to remember. It's a very personal letter. It's a pastoral letter. But it's important for us because Paul is giving vital instructions for Timothy and other Christians in lieu of his impending absence. And in chapter 2, he starts by telling Timothy these things. He says, Take the things you heard me say in front of many witnesses and pass them on to faithful people who are also capable of teaching others. In verse 8, he says, Remember Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead and descended from David. This is my good news. In verse 14, he says, Remind them of these things and warn them in the sight of God not to engage in battles over words that aren't helpful and only destroy those who hear them. Make an effort to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, but one who interprets the message of truth correctly. Avoid their godless discussions because they will lead many people into ungodly behavior and their ideas will spread like an infection. Now, there's a lot in here that I want to unpack for you, but I, in particular, want to emphasize verse 15, where Paul says, make an effort to present yourself to God as a tried and true worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, but one who interprets the message of truth correctly. I want to talk to you today from this subject. It's the title of my message, Essential Workers. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase essential, but I can tell you, a lot of us have varying definitions, and I'm not using this to speak politically. I'm just saying, like, within my family, what my kids think is essential is wildly different than what I think is essential. Like for Pippa, peanut butter is essential. For Reese, video games are essential. For Grant, cartoons are essential. Oliver, he thinks Gucci is essential. Now pray, pray for Oliver because he definitely has his priorities in the wrong place. But I'm actually curious, what is your non-essential essential? You can just let me know in the chat right now. When it comes to Christianity, it's important to know what the essentials are because there's some essentials. In fact, this is precisely what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's saying, look, you need to study and you need to know what's essential and what's not. You need to remind people about these essentials because there's a lot of people talking out there with all sorts of ideas about faith and these wrong ideas are spreading like an infection. He goes on to say that these wrong beliefs are killing people and destroying them. You see, the context is this, that even though Paul had been successful in planting churches and raising up leaders, the climate that Timothy was leading in was not so different than what many of us face today. See, there was a culture that was constantly at odds with Christian values, and it showed up in two primary ways, heresy and persecution. Now, persecution, of course, 
was people being ostracized, abused, and much, much worse for the beliefs that they held on to. And you and I may not have to deal with persecution in the same way that the early church did, but we do have to deal with heresy. Now, that's not a word that a lot of us throw around, but heresy is simply a way of talking about belief systems that are contrary to God's truth. It's found when people say things like, well, I like Jesus, but just not, you know, the God of the Old Testament. Or they like to think of God as love, but not as holy or just or righteous. Heresy is where people would come in behind Paul and begin to teach things that sounded culturally attractive, but they just weren't true. They challenged the parts of Paul's teaching that they didn't like or weren't convenient for them, and they'd supplement it with things that were more easily accepted in the culture. So this is what Paul was writing about, and it's what was going on when he writes to Timothy, and it's why he said, I want you to remember these sayings, because there are a lot of ideas that are floating around out there about who God is and things that are spreading like an infection. And not only are they not helpful, they're actually harmful. In other words, they are killing people by what they're saying because they are causing people to believe wrong things about God. And then Paul does something that only Paul can do. He name drops them in his letter. Like maybe you've had your name blasted on Facebook or maybe somebody said something about you in an email that came back to you. How would you like to have your name called out in the Bible? And he says, hey, let me tell you about two of them. Verse 17 says, this includes Hymenaeus and Philetus who have deviated from the truth by claiming that the resurrection has already happened and this has undermined some people's faith. You see, even though these two guys had professed their faith in Christ, they didn't just turn away from evil. They, they didn't just turn to Christ. They didn't turn away from evil. If you think about it, it's not so different than our culture today. We're living in a time when sensitivities are at the surface and they're often vented with cutting words. I mean, culture will tell you philosophically, you can believe anything you want so long as you don't claim it to be true or morally. You can practice anything you want as long as you don't claim that your way is a better way. Or religiously, you can hold on to anything you want as long as you don't bring Jesus Christ into it. And anytime we adopt this way of thinking in the name of moralism or unity, we've made our faith anemic. So Paul says this kind of heresy is harmful. And he writes to Timothy to let him know this. This is the first thing I want you to write down that wrong beliefs will kill, but God's truth is the cure. Wrong beliefs can kill, but God's truth is the cure. Holding on to wrong beliefs is an infection, but applying God's truth is medicine. So what I want to do today is, is really set the table for what is essential. What are the essential truths that work to produce God's power in us? What are the essential workers? What is at the core of being a Christian, what is the irreducible minimum? And my goal today isn't to really get into the specifics as much as I want to give a framework that we can follow, because there are so many different things that we could talk about. Fortunately, Paul gives us a clue, and he does it through a creed. Maybe you missed it, but he says in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, 
and descended from David. This is my good news. Now, good news is just another word for gospel. He's saying, this is what I believe. This is the truth I'm holding on to. And he goes on to say in verse 10, this is why I endure everything for the sake of those who are chosen by God, so that they too may experience salvation in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is reliable. If we've died together, we will also live together. If we endure, we will also rule together. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are disloyal, he stays faithful because he can't be anything else than what he is. He says, remember this statement and remember this creed. Now, what is a creed? A creed is simply a summarized statement of beliefs. In fact, the word creed literally means I believe. And there's many different creeds in the world, and there are many creeds found in the Bible. This is only one of them. There's a creed in Philippians. There are creeds found in Romans. There's creeds in both letters to the Corinthians. In fact, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he writes another one. He talks about how Christ was revealed as human, declared righteous by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached throughout the nations, believed in around the world, and taken up in glory. It's all one cohesive statement that summarizes the truth of the gospel. And probably the most famous creed is one that you'd know as the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed is based on the baptismal formula given by Jesus at the end of his life on earth. And if you've been baptized in this church, which we will be baptizing people again, you'd be familiar with this because you were baptized in the name, singular, of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but one God. Not names, but name, singular. There's one God revealed by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout the entire Bible, even in creation when God said, let us make man in our image. We see this inner Trinitarian communication and community. God was modeling what he asked of us that we would be in community as his followers. Now, is it possible for you to be a Jesus follower and not be part of a local church? Well, technically, yes, just like you could be married and never kiss your spouse, but why would you want to do that? It's not what God had in mind for you, and it's not what he's modeled for us even within his own relationship. We're made in his image, and we're made for relationship. So the Apostles' Creed, it, it lays all of this out. In fact, I'd like to read it to you in its entirety, just in case maybe you're not familiar with it. This is what it says. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Catholic Church. Now, Catholic just means the church at large, the church in the world. The community of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, you might wonder why I took all of that time just to read it to you, and it's simply because a creed, this creed, is a way to summarize and simplify the basic beliefs of Christianity. Now, of course, we believe in the infallibility of the Bible, and we believe it's all God-breathed, and we're not going to have a lower view of Scripture than our Savior. I mean, Jesus believed in the Old Testament Scriptures, and Jesus referred to books like Jonah, parts of the Bible that might be hard to swallow, but he referred to it as history, and he put it on the same level as his resurrection. And if we just start picking out parts of the Bible, like we're going to leave this out, or we don't like this because of where it came from, we treat the Bible like a buffet, and we avoid anything that becomes difficult or goes against our own understanding, that's the moment when our faith becomes futile. So what this creed does is it summarizes and simplifies the basics of Christianity. It takes the nearly one million words that are in your Bible and gives us the gist in roughly 100 words. I like what Martin Luther said about the creed. He said that Christian truth could not possibly be put into a shorter and clearer statement. Now, saying this is not some magic formula. It's not like you repeat this seven times and God's going to give you a gold star. But there are a few reasons why I like this. And one of them is this. First, it's an evangelistic tool. See, even as we declare these truths, even as I read it to you, there are power in these statements about who God is and what his son has done. You can't communicate the gospel without believing the Holy Spirit is going to use that to save souls. In fact, I believe that for some of you, just hearing it, as I was reading it, seeing the words on the screen, God is doing something in your heart right now. Something loosened in your heart when you heard about what Jesus has done for you. And if you're watching this, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves who you are, not who you wish you were. He wants to work in your life. This is the God that we declare that we believe. It also helps us understand why we believe what we believe and what the essentials are. It's an educational tool. It's educational in nature. I, I like it because it communicates unity. You know, there's lots of churches in the world, but it really shows where there's unity, that there's this unifying and clarifying element amongst all of us, that we can agree on these things. We can look into churches across the globe, and we might not agree on everything, but we do agree on this. And we might have some things that are stylistically different, but our core beliefs are in common. But my favorite thing is that this is an anchor to the past, and it is a rich anchor to the past. Because this creed existed in its earliest form in the year 140 AD, when it was known as the Old Roman Creed, just shortly after Paul wrote to remind Timothy to remember and teach the essentials. And that anchor to the past gives me hope to the future. You see, the church is not going anywhere. The church has been around for a long time, and the church will last well into the future through pandemics and crisis and wars and famines and persecutions and disasters. The church is strong, and the church will endure, and the church in its various forms and various expressions 
is what Jesus came to establish, and it's what he's coming back to. So when we link with 1,900 years of people who with oxygen in their lungs have spoken out these words as a statement of their faith, it reminds me that the baton has been passed to us, and we have a responsibility to do something with this gospel message right now. And that's the last thing I want to tell you, is that what you believe determines how you behave. You know, another way of saying this is simply what we value determines what we do. For example, if you value survival, you'll be inward looking and risk averse. If you value tradition, you'll be more focused on the past than on the future. If you value growth, you might take risks, you might invest outside your comfort zone. If you value excellence, you'll raise the standards, you'll evaluate everything. Maybe it shows up as not being afraid to invest money for quality. What you value determines what you do. And by the same fashion, what we believe determines how we behave. If we believe that eternity is what matters, then we're going to orient our life around the things that make an eternal difference. If we believe that Jesus paid a debt that we never could have paid on our own, we're going to respond with gratitude and praise and thanks and lift our hands in worship because he's worthy. If we believe that God is good, that we're going to come to him with our needs and requests. That's why wrong beliefs are so dangerous because what we believe determines how we behave. And just like I said, what we value determines what we do. Whenever our actions contradict what we say we value, we have to be honest with ourselves and really decide if we value that. Look, I can tell you I value being physically fit, but if my eating doesn't change or I never exercise, it's clear that it's not really a value to me. And we can say that we believe the Bible, but if we don't let its truth shape our actions, we have to be honest with ourselves about whether or not we really believe it. If anything, one of my hopes as a pastor is that I've raised your love for God's Word. I mean, that would be the greatest compliment that you could ever give me, is for me to know that I've helped you know God better and want to know His Word better. I like the way A.W. Tozer said it. A.W. Tozer was a pastor that God used in a powerful way in the early 20th century. He said this, what I believe about God is the most important thing about me. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he said this, a church will only be as great as its conception of God. So knowing what you believe is important because when you believe the wrong thing, it has a consequence. That's what Paul was talking about. He said there are some people who are not only trying to convince you of some things that aren't helpful, but the things are actually harmful and it will undermine your faith. So it's important that we know what we believe. And at the same time, medicine is really only good if you apply it. You have to administer it. You have to ingest it. So I don't just want you to know stuff. I want you to live out the truth of God's word in your life. You can know a lot, but not do anything with it, and it's not gonna do you any good. And what I've found is that God's word is most often administered orally, meaning we have to believe it in our heart and we speak it out with our mouth. So that's why I wanna give you a challenge and I wanna give you a very practical step as we begin this series that you can take 
over the course of the next five weeks, I want to invite you to learn the Apostles' Creed together with me. Just take a little bit each week, and I bet you'll have it memorized. And it's going to be helpful because each week we're going to look to God's Word to learn the truths that we're professing. Let me read to you 2 Timothy 2, verse 14, from the Message Translation. It says it this way. Repeat these basic essentials over and over to God's people. You see, these aren't new concepts for you to employ. No, they are essential workers. It's the gospel message that God sent his son Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. This is the gospel. And when we place our faith in this, the Bible says this is how we're saved. You see, for some of you watching, I want to give you a chance to declare this with me, to declare exactly what it is we believe. See, the same way we enter into this faith isn't just a decision, it's a declaration. It starts in your heart, but it's spoken with your mouth. And if you'd like to do that today, it'd be my privilege to lead you in a prayer. We confessed what scripture says. I want to invite us to say it together. With every head bowed, just where you're at, even as you're watching the screen, sitting in the living room, or maybe you're sitting someplace outside watching on your phone, maybe you're with your family. But if you bow your head and say these words with me, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge my need for you. And I believe in what you did for me. You took my sin and my shame. You hung on the cross. You died. And you were buried. And I believe you got up from the grave. Come into my life. Live in me so that I can live in you. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.